Hey, hello, everyone. Welcome to episode two of the Results Business Podcast. Everton are safe in the Premier League for another year. I'm Roger Armstrong and delighted to be joined by my good friend, Paul Viesk. Good afternoon. How are you, Paul? I'm very well, Roger. Thank you. Just just about got over last Saturday, Sunday. So, um, yeah, just, I'm good. Just got over your Winslow-inspired hangover. I'm pleased to hear that. No, no, um, no, no hangover. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mind you, no one, uh, Roger, if you think we've got problems, wait until Matt starts talking about his club. Uh, um, yeah, <laughs> I, think, I think we might need a slightly longer, slightly longer one to talk about the try. Um, yes, indeed. We're delighted to have with us today uh, Matt Slater from The Athletic, uh, one of the world's most famous Southend United um, supporters. Uh, Matt, how are you? I'm all right. Uh, Alison Moye is, is considerably more famous than me. And there are, there are a fair few celebrity Southend fans, I'll have you know. So, um, but I am a Southend fan. That's true. Great. Thank you so much for joining us, Matt. Um, today, you've published a very interesting article about the um, soap opera that continues to be the financial affairs of Everton Football Club. Um, Gather you've had some conversations with some sources close to the deal, um, and your article is fascinating. Um, it talks about an investment of £100 million, largely to help fund a, a shortfall in cash flow for the stadium. Um, leading to potential 25% equity stake going to MSP Capital in Everton Football Club itself. Um, can you just give us a, a quick appraisal of that article for those who haven't yet read it, and then uh, we might investigate it in a little more detail, please? Yeah, sure. So I think you, your listeners will be aware of MSP Sports Capital, this New York-based sports investment fund. Um, they own stakes in... I think three European football teams. They own a, a chunk of the NBA's Phoenix Suns. They own. They're, they're trying to buy the X Games. I think from ESPN. Um, yeah, an interesting bunch set up by a former sports agent called Jeff Morad and a an Iranian American businessman called James Najafi. Um, they've been talking to um, to Five Mashiri about Everton for for some time. Uh, I think they were spotted, weren't they? Again, was it the um, was one of your defeats at home? Was it Southampton? Was it that one? It was the remember. famous game where the directors failed to turn up. Yes, right. it was so, Southampton. Yeah. It was an ignominious home defeat. I, yeah. I, I remember, but I couldn't. Yeah, there you go. So they were so they were spotted a group of them doing the tour. Um, so it's been no secret. There's no there's no there's no surprise here, right? Now, um, as you said in your intro, this has been a bit of a saga. It's been a tough one to. Tough one to uh, cover, actually. Uh, one because of the length of it, which is always hard to sustain, uh, but but more importantly, just because of you know just how murky and how difficult it's been to sort of stand anything up. Um, you know, it's been really really difficult to establish some basic facts. You know, what is Mashiri doing? What is he selling? Why? Um, who is he talking to? What's their plan? Um, you know, it's all been hard. Long story short, we, things have crystallised, I would say, uh, in the last few months. Um, 777 was the other was the other sort of yeah. interested party that got a lot of interest and attention in the papers. Um, at one point, it did, you know, honestly, from week to week, you'd be hearing different things. At one point, it looked like they were slightly more advanced. Um, their big thing is multi-club sports model. Again, they're, they're a Florida-based uh, investment fund. Started off in structured finance. They uh, lease airplanes, and they're, they're an interesting bunch in their own in their own rights. They have bought stakes in big clubs, bigger clubs than than um, 
MSP, because bigger football clubs anyway, Sevilla and Hertha Berlin, Genoa, Standard Liège, uh, one of the Paris teams, not Paris Saint-Germain. I can't remember if it's Red Star or Paris FC. I think it's um, Red Star. Red, Red Star. Star. Yeah. There you go. And and uh, they have got a basketball team. It's it's the one in London. Um, isn't as good as the NBA. But um, so they're 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 an interesting bunch. But look, it's not them. So MSP. So we've been focused on MSP. Now MSP, what what they are proposing to do, and what Mashiri. I think to be fair when he has gone on the record occasionally he has always been quite adamant about this this is about investment in the stadium all right he's always sort of maintained that everything's fine i could do this myself if i had to but for you know temporary reasons uh to do with sort of global politics i'm 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 a little bit short of cash but don't worry um i just need some some help with the stadium his big project and the msp plan is to fill a funding gap basically so you know if we sort of think about the stadium costing he's now admitted 760 million i i actually think that might go up a tiny bit more actually because Mm -hmm. i think there's a little bit more to come there perhaps the 780 maybe even sort of touch 800 when all is said and done um but 760 is the current number he's he's done about 400 million of it himself in equity um so there's still a big way, a big gap there, 360. Now, I think at one point he wanted to do that in the same way that Tottenham did their stadium. You know, you go to some big global banks and you appointed a couple in 2020 before things started to go wrong. Um, to go source long-term cheap debt and to sort of tie it all up for 25 years and then, you know, the, the increased revenue streams from the stadium comfortably cover that. And what he's found, I think, for a variety of reasons, and you can choose which one you like best, uh, that the appetite for that debt isn't there. So JP Morgan and, and MUFG, Mitsubishi Bank in Japan, have, have tried very, very hard, and they have not been able to get that away. Now, some of that, I think, is because some of, this, some of the funding was going to come from the naming rights deal with Usmanov, one of Alistair Usmanov's company, and that went away as did a load of sponsorship money for Everton. Two, everybody knows that Everton's finances have just been a car crash for years. So there's sort of a trust issue. Three, you've got the on-pitch performance, two relegation scraps in a row. So that doesn't help. And then I think you have, and I've sort of alluded to it in my first answer, the sort of Usmanov connection in general, which Mashiri himself is adamant. There is nothing to it. I'm not going to be sanctioned. Why would I be sanctioned? I'm a British citizen. Um... Yes, I've got a long-term business relationship with this bloke, but I stepped down from all the boards as soon as Usmanov was added to the sanction list. Uh, my start, my my accounts in, in Russia have been frozen because I'm a British citizen. There's nothing to see here. Everton cancelled those deals with um, with uh, Usmanov-related companies as, as as soon as soon as as soon as uh, any reasonable person would expect them to. There is really nothing to see here, and and that's fine, as your listeners will know. The Guardian, in particular, has sort of has been has been pursuing a, a line where Mashiri himself is a person of interest. I have, as I talk to you now, no way of knowing what the truth is. What I can tell you is that Mashiri's camp are 100% adamant, repeatedly so. Every time you ask me about it, there is nothing to see here, nothing to see here whatsoever. The what I will say is concern and fears about that are real. 
in the market. Matt, Matt, can I just make a point there, which is quite, you know, you, you mentioned a word earlier, murky. And, um, and I think that's a good way of describing the way that Everton, you know, what's been going on in and around the background and people making up stories to fill the hole. But you talk about, obviously, uh, Farhad not being, um, it can't be sanctioned as a UK citizen. But we know, do we not, Paul, as a matter of fact, that, that he's unable to open a UK bank account, which may be a modest cause for concern to potential lenders. Well, we, we know from Sam and Goodley's reporting that his uh, UK bank account or his UK bank decided that they would no longer do business with him. And that goes back to, I think, sometime in the uh, autumn of last year. And what impact might that have on, you know, his association with the football club and the stadium and trying to find financing for, for, for the well, same? I'm going to be careful here. But first of all, it's, it's you know, there's, there's, it's not an insinuation, certainly for me, of guilt in terms of anything that he may or may not have done. Um, <clears throat> banks close accounts for all sorts of reasons. And in this case, I suppose they're just looking at it from a compliance point of view and sort of doing a, a what if uh, so if the worst situation developed, he can't be sanctioned as, as we know, but if, if he was, if he went further than being a person of interest, then the bank would have been prudent in not doing, in, in not doing business with him, uh, some time ago. What does it mean in terms of his relationship with, with, with other banks and other people? Well, it rings alarm bells, of course, and it, normally it, it's quite unusual for a British bank to go down this route first. Normally it's the American banks that, go down go down this route first um but it certainly doesn't make it any easier for him or for his people to do business in america um and you know that has been one of a multitude of uh, reasons why it's been difficult for him to get funding and he was denied entry to america recently right well again the the, the guardian have reported that he was denied um entry uh, apparently for a dentist trip and he ended up going to germany to see his dentist hope it wasn't clops <laughs> nice one. Um, okay, but sorry, sorry for that intervention. Um, no, that's absolutely fine. Matt, carry on. Hundred well, million, therefore, is the is the nature of the initial well, deal. Is that correct? Yeah. So, so three sixty they need, right? And he yeah. and his people say the big banks will lend us money, but they're not going to lend us three sixty. They need a bit more equity. So it's a bit kind of like you know loans of value with your house, right? Sure. You, you need you need to sort that out. So, he's, so they're talking about we need to provide them some comfort to de-risk this. So hence MSP arrive, right? So MSP, what they are proposing to do is to lend, Michelle, lend the club, £100 million in convertible debt, so loans with warrants that give them the right to buy company stock at a fixed low, low, low price. Um, and... This 100 million, which I have reported, has started to flow. Uh, interim funding has come from a member of the partnership. So this is going to be a partnership, a sort of joint venture, if you like, with MSP running it. They are the general partners, and they're going to be some passive investors, some, some, some small investors, limited partners, one of whom is Andy Bell, um, the founder of no. AJ Bell. 
Oh, not Andy Bell from Erasure. No, I did. I did it's make that a good gag. friend of a good yeah. friend of Alison Moyes, of course. Well, up, there you go. So the, so the, the connections are endless. Um, that was a South End gag. Um, so, uh, yep, yeah, Andy Bell, uh, co-founder of AJ Bell, very successful online stockbroker, listed a few years ago, doing well, made a fortune. Um, Evertonian, based up in Lancashire, has a stables and a Michelin restaurant. I've been looking him up. The restaurant looks lovely. Um, he stepped down from AJ Bell uh, about a year or so ago. Uh, wanted to wanted to be the chair, but that was blocked by the Financial Conduct Authority. Not for any kind of nefarious or bad reasons, but because he had a conflict. He owned, he owns too many shares still in AJ Bell. Yeah. So he's been looking for things to do, looking for a challenge. Everton is a challenge. Um, he uh, it was confirmed a company's house about a week or so ago. Uh, has been given a charge, or two charges, I think, on um, Everton Stadium Development Company, the, the the firm set up to sort of run and oversee the, the stadium project. He's already started to lend them money. And this is the first tranche of MSP money. He'll be sorted out later on. So he's already started to provide it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that money's coming. And when they hit 100, when they get their 100 together and shake hands with Farhad, they will have warrants for twenty five percent of the club. That is that is that is their sort of quid pro quo. That's what we want for our money to get you over the hump. And then once you've got this, JP Morgan and MUFG, the two big banks, can do their thing, and you can borrow then. And he's going to do this as a five year construction loan. He's going to do it as a as a, as a sort of five year loan. Interest rates are quite high right now, yeah. and the bet and the bet he's making there is interest rates are going to they're going to they're going to starts to fall in a couple of years time hopefully as this global economy changes the whole situation changes if i have to i'll refinance the the lot all of our borrowing with a great big 25 year corporate bond uh and take advantage of cheaper interest rates if i have to pay an early redemption fee on the five-year construction loan so be it it'll be cheaper um so that that is i would say his i don't think it was plan a so it's plan a you know, asterisks. It's the sort of it's, it's he's moving. You know, he's rolling with the punches a bit here. So that is mm. his best case scenario now. So MSP are going to get me over the hump. JP Morgan, MUFG are going to sort out the rest, pay for the stadium. We all move forward. The only things I would add on the MSP bit are not only are they going to have these warrants, which I think they will exercise um, for twenty five percent of the club. They get two places on the board. Um. And I think they could actually end up lending the club more because I think Everton are going to, I think the, the shortfall on the stadium is actually going to be a bit more. I think there's yeah. a bit more, a bit more to be lent there. And I think Everton have day-to-day costs. Just I think, I think, I think Mashiri needs the money. So it wouldn't surprise me at all if that ends up being more like 150 million. And they might even end up therefore with more than 25% of the club. Okay. Brilliant. Thank you, Matt. That's really, really clear. Now what struck me first and foremost about this was that Mashiri effectively being prepared to cede 25% control, okay, control in inverted commas, but to give up 25% equity in Everton Football Club for £100 million only going towards the stadium itself. Paul, you and I have had numerous discussions about the valuation and, and, you know, as all of these various suitors have been circling around Everton in the last few months. And an overall valuation of Mashiri, um, for Mashiri to value 100 million as 25% of the equity, seems a lot lower than his previous uh, position. What, what, what are your thoughts on this 100 million loan for 25% equity 
in, in Everton Football Club itself, not just the stadium company? Because you've you've tried to distinguish between the two in several pieces recently. I think I think it's fascinating what um, Matt has been told um, by Mishiri's people and, and the people around him. Um, and Matt, this no no way reflects on your uh, journalistic capabilities. Uh, you you're reporting what you've been told, but um, I I just don't see any credibility in the deal as described. This deal could have been done in January. Uh, Matt, you wrote mm-hmm. about it. I wrote about it. Other people wrote exactly the same deal. In, in January. So why five months on when there's a degree of urgency to this and there was the same degree of urgency in January, why are we no further advanced? Why are we still in a position where I think in Missouri's people's words, they're four, four to five weeks away, which frankly has been the standard response for uh, several years now when talking about uh, the potential for a funding partner to come in. It, it always seems to be four or five years. If you go back and look at uh, what was said at annual, uh, annual general meetings in 2019, something very similar was said when, in fact, Mishiri wasn't there because he was very close to closing a deal. Um, and and I, just, I just see a pattern of behavior, uh, sort of a pattern of behavior here that, mm. um, you know, just kicking the can down the road. I don't think 150 million so it really does much other than probably satisfies Lango Rourke's shareholders because most of that money will end up with Lango Rourke. It's not going to be working capital for the club. And all we do yeah. is, is just extend the problems that um, Mishiri's leadership or lack of leadership in the club has created. And this is why on Friday, well, f- f- this is one of the reasons why on Friday I said, uh, Mashiri must be prepared to cede control of, of the club. And I still think that that is the case. Um, I think it's the case for a, num- a number of reasons. Uh, I don't necessarily accept Mashiri's view that he is completely clear of uh, any interest or investigation by uh, the U- UK government. Again, I'm, I'm not accusing him of anything because I don't know what it is that they're looking at. But I think it's reasonable to believe that that will, will continue. Uh, and will continue for some time. That- Under what auspices, Paul? Because he's a he's a British citizen, so mm-hmm. he can't be sanctioned as a British citizen. What other action could they take against him? Well, they they, and again, you know, I don't know, but they could prove if they could prove, for example, that he had been assisting or providing services um, to Usmanov since since Usmanov has been sanctioned. Well, that's very clearly a criminal offence. Um, they could perhaps uh, argue that his involvement, even if he can't be sanctioned, his, his involvement uh, with Usmanov and Usmanov's comp- companies before the invasion of um, Ukraine uh, makes him a, a person, they can't stop him from being in the UK, but they can effectively stop him, uh, stop other people from doing business with him. So I, I think, I, I think it's, I'm going to say it's, there's still the potential for that to unwind in, in the worst way for Everton. It doesn't mean that Everton are put in the same situation as uh, as Chelsea were when they were effectively put into administration because of uh, Abramovich, but it just makes it very, very difficult, as we've seen, um, for Everton to function like a normal business because we can't raise the capital that we need to pay for the stadium. We can't uh, raise the capital, the working capital that we need to redevelop the squad. So... yeah. 
Bashiri's desire to hang on to to keep control is uh, is damaging, I think, to the interests of, of the of the football club. I also think that uh, MSP coming in and, as I say, the 150 million, they're going to want uh, much more control over how the club is running in the future than just having a 25% stake in the company and just having two people on the board. You know, by any definition, that's a minority holding and it, and it, it the control is retained by Mashiri. And one has to ask, profession, do professional investors looking at Everton, looking at Fahd Mashiri, believe that he's a credible manager of their client's money? Because at the end of the day, MSP are taking their client's money, people like Andy Bell, uh, George Downing, etc., and entrusting that to somebody who's, in my eyes, proved to be unworthy of that trust from a, a, a competence point of view. So I think there's, I think there's every, every chance that uh, because we need more money than what's apparently on the table now, uh, because I don't think it's necessarily so easy to get the money from JP Morgan or uh, from Mitsubishi Bank, because frankly, Everton's position is no stronger now than it was Previously, the money's coming in and it's going straight out. And it's, it's, as I say, it's going to benefit Mango Rourke shareholders, not not Everton Football Club. The stadium gets a bit closer towards completion, but there's still a, a big tranche of money outstanding. Um, well, when I, do you think I, those money is Let me finish this. Sorry, just, sorry, finish no, just, on timings, just on timings for people to understand, because we can all see work going on continually at Bramley Moor Dock. And there is money due to be paid to Lango Rourke imminently or overdue. Do you have any sense of, of how much is currently overdue and, and how quickly that 40 million um, that's come in has literally gone straight out of the other door? I, I, I've no idea what the, what the, ne- what the payment schedule was. I, I have heard that Mashiri has been trying to renegotiate the payment schedule to sort of stretch it out, make more payments later into the contract than uh, was originally anticipated by Langer Rourke. Um, I don't know. I, I mean- noticed, Matt, you said the stadium is ahead of schedule. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously the danger is that if payments uh, fall late and, and aren't, aren't paid as they're due, that it might fall behind schedule, that, you mm-hmm. know, Langer Rourke might down tools or be that maybe counterproductive. Mm-hmm. But the whole mm-hmm. point of building this stadium is to increase the revenues sooner rather than later, and you don't want delays to to, right. to, to make that further in the, in the in the future. Yeah, the, the the issue around the the build is that apparently it is ahead of schedule, and and I've been hearing this all of this year, um, actually. So whenever I've me and my colleagues were there, whenever we sort of inquired about it, it's always been no, no, it's, it's, the actual building's going really well, and I and I've certainly not heard anyone say otherwise i don't know i don't think we're sort of talking months and months and months in advance but i think we're sort of saying that yeah yeah everything is going well in terms of the construction um which means that they are relatively confident they could be in it for the start of the 24 25 season which i think everyone would agree would be would be would be good of course um so on that Regard, we're doing okay. Everton are doing okay. I think the thing about Langer Rook, I think there's so that when I said that I found this story frustrating, what I really meant is I've found dealing with Everton frustrating for yeah. several years, and and it really starts with the stadium. 
getting answers about the stadium has been difficult. And I think there's been some, whether intentional or otherwise, there's been some misleading going on. Uh, and one of the biggest examples of that, uh, that is only really, I still see bits of it on social media every now and then. I find it very frustrating. I found it very frustrating about 18 months, two years ago, this line that the build cost was guaranteed at yes. 500 million. This yes. has been one of those really stubborn um, mistakes yeah. in many ways. It's a complete nonsense that a building firm would guarantee the costs of anything. You try get try try build a try build an extension to your house. You know, it's just nonsense. So that, it was reported by it was reported by some pretty high highly renowned journalists. Everyone reported it because that was the steer. Yeah. That was the steer from the club. And it was the steer. It was consistently spun and steered by the club for quite a long time. And when people started to analyze it, because what I first noticed that sort of people that worked in construction um, media, you know, like actual experts were like, why do I keep seeing this nonsense written about Everton yeah. Stadium that is guaranteed at 500 million? Do, 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 do they not read any of our stuff? And you're like, no, sorry, we don't read your stuff. Can you tell us, please? Well, then, you know, well, just think about it. Folks, uh, was was Wembley was Wembley uh, the right number? Was it, how many how many major football infrastructure projects can you think of that actually hit the number? You know, it's not that many. So it was a nonsense, uh, and I think actually it, when they corrected the number, it was one hell of a correction. I think sort of Farhad did. You'll have to remind me. You, you follow Farhad's pronouncements closer than I do. I think he drops it into a fan forum or, a, or an AGM where he went, "Oh, sorry, it's not five hundred; it's seven sixty. He told a private meeting of shareholders last summer that it was not not five fifty or whatever the supposed yeah. figure was, and that was um, not widely reported because it was supposed to be like a confidential oh, I see, off, right. off the record meeting. He then let it slip in um, in a. A meeting, a meeting that was recorded uh, with the fan advisory board, or that's the that's the bit that's the, the bit I remember. Yeah, in in, Jan, in January, um, you know, which which all sort of goes back to my point about uh, I, I just I can't see why how or why MSP would expose themselves or expose their clients. Got it. Sorry. Yeah. All right. Well, I, I've I've got you know, I'm not here to speak for MSP, but I will no, no. I, I will attempt to be devil's advocate a little bit because obviously you have been speaking to them and people are people close to them and people that, are, that have knowledge of the deal uh and are if you like pushing the deal so from an msp point of view i guess what they're saying is everton are a big club that's available right now at a good at a decent price um great fan base history etc cetera, etc cetera. they don't come along very often um if we can buy in a significant stake. I agree it's not a controlling stake, but if we could buy 25, 20, 30% of this club at a pretty good price, and if you sort of benchmark the price against West Ham, Newcastle, Southampton, Burnley, Bournemouth, the other clubs that have the other Premier League or Premier League adjacent clubs that have that have gone recently, that's not a bad price at all. In fact, it's a pretty good one. Um it makes sense because of what all these, particularly North American investors, are betting on is the valuations of sports franchises continuing 
to increase and grow. They're going on asset appreciation. And this is they've been riding this way for 10, 15, maybe 20 years in the States. And there is a finite number of sports franchises in the States. So that is one of the reasons why there's this great big North American interest in European football at the moment. And there's others as well to do with the growth of football and soccer over there and pound dollar, euro dollar and all that sort of stuff. And World Cup coming in 2026. There's other, there's other bits to it. But fundamentally, it's a belief that sports franchises are desirable. They retain their value. Um, they are, they're good investments. They're good, in fact, defensive investments. They're an asset class all of their own. Right? These are the sort of buzzwords. So that is what they're buying into. So they're thinking, great, we'll make a loan, interest-bearing loan. We get equity. Let's see where this goes. Everton with a brand new stadium in 24-25. Yeah, you know, as long as they retain their Premier League status, that's yeah. that's 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 not a bad investment. There's a lot now. I I would agree with you if you're going to tell yeah. me uh, there's a lot of assumptions there. Yeah, there's a lot, a lot of assumptions. A, a lot of there's best lot case of scenarios. You're you're making assumptions on a sports perspective. You're making assumptions on the capability and the competence of those currently running the business and those that might come in to run the business going forward. You're also making economic assumptions on interest rates, which is. I love the fact that when you were explaining the deal early on, the Mashiri said, yeah, of course, interest rates are going to come down, aren't they? They're going to come down and I'll refund. What if they don't fire? You know, mm. you're looking at, we'll get into this in a little while, but you're looking at not far off a billion pounds of debt that Everton Football Club will have by then. So movements in interest rates are pretty, pretty pivotal. Um, I, I'm conscious we've got really quite granular. Paul, I'd just like you, to, if you could, because um, we've heard some names, Andy Bell, and we've heard George Downing, um, an MSP. Now, how do MSP work, and how do the how would these two individuals um, are they part of MSP? Are they investors in MSP? And what, if any, role could these two individuals play in the stewardship of uh, Everton? Could they be potential board members for the football club going forward? What's their role in this transaction, as you understand it? Okay, so so that they're they're investors in the sense that they're that they're putting their money. Uh, into first of all, they're putting their money into MSP, and they become limited partners in, yeah. in MSP. That doesn't mean that they uh, are, are managing their own money. It means that they're entrusting that money to MSP to manage on their on their behalf. So I right. think it's I think it's unlikely in the extreme that Andy Bell um, and George Downing become directors for two reasons. First of all. They've entrusted MSP to take the responsibility for their money. So it makes sense to me that the general partners, the owners of MSP, who ultimately have the liability, they have the responsibility of, of, of properly managing their client's money. Um, they're going to be the people that end up on the board, not the two local lads. And you have to say, or rather, I'm going to say this, uh, this is yet another example of Everton's extreme desire for cash because we've run out of cash and we've run out of uh, funding options elsewhere, effectively cutting off what could have be, been a very good situation where you have a local person, a supporter, a very successful businessman like Andy Bell. He seems like a natural fit to me to be a non-executive director of Everton Football Club. Yet yeah. the way that this is being funded and it's being funded out of, um, from my perspective, sheer necessity in this manner, um, sort of pretty much precludes him from doing that. And he's a man that uh, is keen on good governance. So he's not going to, just because 
it's him. He's not going to change the way that he does business um, and, and sit on a board when he potentially has a conflict of interest because if at some point he has to try and get his money back from Everton, um, he can't be both a director and uh, a minority holder and also a lender at the same time. You, you just can't be all three of those things, which effectively is what he is. If he was the majority shareholder, then those compliance issues like disappear in the same yeah. way that currently fired Mishiri, majority shareholder, big lender to Everton. There's no issue with that because he controls the club. But if you're a minority and if you're a non-executive director, it is a big issue to be a, a lender also. Okay, I understand because I think a lot of people think that, you know, um, they will be getting a stake in the Phoenix Suns and Alcorcon and Augsburg, but they're not. They are just, they are, this is a pure partnership deal, limited partnership. Their involvement is limited to the investment that MSP Capital, effectively a, a, uh, a fund, a, a managed fund, and they've invested in the MSP fund called Everton, right? That's that's what these these two individuals have done. Correct. Themselves. Yeah. Okay. Um, Paul, I think it might be helpful at this stage to just break down where you think uh, we could be in terms of a billion pounds in debt as a football club, because these are these are huge numbers. These are huge numbers that are clearly going to uh, impact the overall running of the business and our capacity to strengthen and grow the squad so that this assertion that all we've got to do is stay in the Premier League becomes a little more likely rather than nerve-jangling end-of-season, repeat, repeat, repeat. Okay, this is this is based on um, how Matt described the deal. So, so how far has people described to Matt how, how the deal will, will end up looking like if it, if it goes to plan. That billion is broken down as follows. Uh, Fahd Mashiri is currently owed 450 million by the club. Uh, there's no anticipation of him getting that back and there's no interest to be paid on that. So that's just a effectively a gift to the club. It's, it's not a gift, but you know, you know what I mean? There's no uh, requirement to pay that back at this moment in time. But if I came to buy Everton tomorrow, would I have to give Mashiri 450 million of debt back? No. Why not? Because nobody would do that. Why Why on earth would you do that? Well, I'm just trying to put it in if layman's it, terms. If Mishiri says yeah. part of the deal is you buy the equity and then you, yeah. have, to repay, you have to buy my debt back, well, the, yeah. val the value of the equity drops to less than zero, effectively. Co correct, which is which is where you've always you, you've always been yeah. quite uh, yeah. adamant on that, that the equity, if you, if you so, factor in outstanding debt, so the, the, has zero the, the, value. Yeah, the buyer would say, effectively, I'll buy the equity off you for yeah. let's say 400 million, which is what this effectively sort of values the club. Or yes. if you if you want repayment of all the loans that you've given the club, I'm not going to pay anything for the equity. So it's the same sure. thing. Just decide which way you you, you want no. to play it. So, I just wanted to clarify that. Okay, okay. cool. So, so there's 400, 450 million, million that is currently owed to Michelle. No anticipation of that ever being paid back. It doesn't cost the club a single penny because uh, there's no interest to be borne on that. We currently have a, a COVID-related um, loan with uh, Metro Bank, which pays commercial bank rates at around about 23 million. We have a 200 million pound facility, which is fully utilized with rights and media funding. Um, obviously not a mainstream lender. Uh, and it's thought, given that there's evidence elsewhere from similar lenders, that we're paying around about 10% on, on, that, on, on that loan. 
and that's uh, 200 million. So we're, we're already up to 675 million or 670 million with a, a yep. little yep, bit added on. Um, yep. And then we're talking about, you know, the remaining funding for the stadium, uh, right. three, 360 million perhaps. There, there's your billion. You, there you, it is. You go slightly over your billion. And, and of course, 100 MSP and then the balance JP Morgan and, and, yeah. and Mitsubishi and, Bank. And, and we will be budget. paying, we will, uh, sorry, we will be paying interest um, on those funds. Absolutely. So Absolutely. The really, the interesting bit for me, so is let's say, let's say that we strike a, a very good deal and we end up with a, an average cost of say 8%. Yeah, um, and we borrowed five hundred and fifty million. Well, that's uh, you know around about forty-four million pound a year in interest cost in, in in interest costs, which is pretty much what we think will be the uh, increase in revenues generated by um, Bramley Moore. I know Matt, you were given an indication it might be higher than that, but yeah, yeah. I mean, the numbers were a little bit vague, but I, I think they are hoping that the impression I get is that Mashiri knows, and this won't come as a big shock, that Goodison Park, though it's a lovely old ground, is holding Everton back. So if you look at the sort of peer group clubs, if you look at pretty much every club in the Premier League, probably apart from Bournemouth, Everton's match day revenue is pretty poor. Where it really, really, really lacks is... Uh, the hospitality section, which is what most clubs, again, those peer group clubs, are often getting about a third of their matchday revenue from. So yes. I think at Arsenal, it's something like 8,000 seats. So, you know, just over 10% provide about a third of the income. It's, it'll, be, it'll be similar at all the big clubs, Liverpool as well now with their new main stand. So, you know, it's the Prawn Sandwich Brigade. You can charge a lot. For, you can charge those guys a lot of money. They mm. hang around, they stay longer, they might buy more in the shop. That's 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 where the action is now in the Premier League. Um, and if you look at Tottenham, you know, not only have Tottenham sort of kind of transformed their match day income, which is now comfortably, I think, a billion um, a year. Okay. Oh, no, sorry. Uh, uh, no, sorry. What am I talking about? It's, 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 it's a million. It's, no, no, it's more than that now, isn't it? Because... Uh, it's 100 million. Is it 100 million a year they're making? Arsenal were the first to break to break that, and then I think United were, but I think our Spurs are there as well now. They're making you know huge sums on on you know two three million a game now. Right. Um, so yeah, more than three million a year. Sorry, it's, it's, it's approaching five million a game. Five million. Yeah. Spurs, Spurs. Spurs have gone to have taken it up up a notch. Haven't they? I remember yeah. when I remember when Arsenal broke the sort of three million a game mark a few years ago. But yeah, Spurs are taking it on again, and. It's 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 the increase in price for tickets. I'm, I'm sorry, that's part of it. But particularly in those hospitality areas, it's getting people to come earlier, stay later. Um, and the other thing about um, those hospitality seats is it's not just that um, you know you can you can charge however many thousand rich folk more for the day out. Sponsors love it as well. It, it's increasingly used as a sort of a tool with to, to, to grow your commercial income because your commercial partners can then bring more guests, they can entertain, it becomes more of a sort of asset for the company. Um, so it can help match, they can help commercial. I think if you put all these things together and 
you know, to, to be fair to the guy, he he's gone for it with the stadium. You know, he's not just built a stadium. He's built he's building a iconic, beautiful stadium that will, I think, certainly for a time, you know, genuinely sort of take you know the breath away and, and steal some of Spurs thunder for a bit um, until you know until the next great big project comes along. But it will it will it will be it will be this sort of eye catching one that people want to go to. Um, it should help the commercial income as well. That so that that is again best case and people are you know sure. various things need to go right but if 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 i think they're thinking that maybe it could add 60 million a year now we shall see right we shall see and i, I think within that would be some naming rights as well and yeah well when when i remember in the early days doing modeling on whether the capacity should be 50 million 50,000 60,000 or whatever paul you were always very keen to point out that you know, if you took 10%, if you had 5,000 corporate seats, that 5,000 corporate seats could generate as much as, say, 50,000 regular seats. You know, your premium seating um, could, could almost cover the cost of the, of the regular seating, right? I, I worked on a model that the premium seating would perhaps get closer to um, half of the overall revenues generated by the, by, by the stadium. I know that's a bit higher than... Um, figures elsewhere but that, that, that's what I worked on uh, I think it's less likely to do that now because actually the club has scaled back on its ambitions with regards to premium seating so okay. uh, it's only around about um, around about 6,000 seats maximum possibly slightly less than that um, which is at the lower end of the scale in terms of the percentage of uh, seats versus the overall capacity of the ground you know when I mean, obviously, it's not happened. But when Chelsea were looking at their state, their brand new stadium, they were looking at around about twenty-eight percent of the capacity being mm. um, premium seating, and you know, Liverpool, uh, I think they're around about fourteen, fifteen percent. So we're a little bit behind on that, but you know, that's that's where it, we are. It strikes me. It strikes me in all of these discussions that here we are with a fine plan and Mashiri has had a fine plan and in theory it sounds like an excellent thing to do and it sounded an even better idea seven years ago <laughs> when he also had money to spend on players which has been frittered away with um, you know gay abandon and made us worse which is quite staggering um, but there seems to be an element here of cart before horse now in that mm. in that the club is so far under the waterline financially we're staring down the barrel of an independent commission investigation which could find us innocent of course it could could equally lead to a fine, a transfer ban or a points deduction, which would have a massive impact. And Matt, you've said throughout, you know, on-field performance is absolutely essential mm -hmm. in order to keep sponsorship, ticket prices, yeah. commercial deals, all of that, selling tickets, absolutely vital. We're talking about potentially £44 million of interest costs, a staggering amount, mm -hmm. um, before you've even entered uh, player wages. And, and last, year's our, last year, our turnover was, what, £200 million, Paul, something of that nature? Uh, no less than that, around about 181. Okay, so, so so we're talking about over 25% of turnover going on interest. You know, it sounds like, hang on, let's try and find a winning football team and a quality football team that can perform, that can attract um, uh, investors, that can attract more spectators, that can attract better deals. Um, which brings me on to two things which I'd like to ask both of you about. One, to what extent do Everton right now, i.e. yesterday, need to bring in some competent business slash financially competent and football competent people in to run the organisation? And two, how much money do we need to spend on quality players, money that we don't have, money that we might not be able to spend, um, in order to make this squad vaguely competitive? And by vaguely competitive, I mean 45 points and finishing 14th. Who wants to go first? <laughs> 
Well, I, I'll, I'll go first because I think Paul will have more to say than me. So, so on your first one, yes, of course, every club needs competent, um, savvy business people and football people. Mm-hmm. And uh, just from the outside in, you know, Everton have been sorely lacking um, for some time. You know, I think there's been, I, I've often felt that there've been some sort of kind of good people there that have said some good things at times, but it just, it either hasn't, been followed through they even haven't yeah. sort of delivered or they've not been there long enough or the place there's something about the place that is implementation you know actually following there is the problem it's just there's something sort of dysfunctional and sort of toxic about the place i've i've, I've you know there was this sort of idea a few years ago again that was very much championed by everton themselves so they had this sort of uniquely wonderful board and again, I found that faintly ridiculous. Not, I didn't find it ridiculous that Everton couldn't have a good board. It was more, where's the evidence? And there was this sort of sense that, oh, I think it was one of Kenwright's great lines that he loved sharing. Um, that people often say when we're faced with a dilemma, what would the Everton board do? And I'll be honest with you. I mean, I, I, I don't take sides here. I never heard anyone in the game say that, ever, ever. You know, they, they, they quite liked... People do have a fondness for Everton's sort of brand, this idea of the sort of people's team and the fact, you know, the, the fact that Everton were on the right side of the argument with Super League and uh, have always had a really good community programme. Uh, 100%. Contrary to Liverpool and how they, for in previous regime, I think, um, went about their redevelopment and the impact that that had on the local area around Anfield. Everton appeared to be doing their development in a much more sort of sensitive way. You know, I, I, I would pick those things up. Very and, I would yes. yeah, and I would occasionally hear or, you know, get an opportunity to sort of hear from some of your previous chief execs or directors and think, yeah, yeah, yeah you, you know, you're all talking a really good game. But then I'd look and go, yeah, but you're sort of not really doing it or you're not the only ones doing it. You kind of yes. pat yourselves on the back very heartily for doing it, but they're sort of doing it over there quietly and they've they've already done it. And, you know, these are all good ideas, but can you sort of get on with them? And I remember getting... A little bit annoyed a few times. Well, really around sort of a recent accounts when, I'll be honest with you, other clubs were not saying, oh, "I wonder what the Everton board were doing." They were saying, "What? What on earth is the Everton board doing? Look at this spending. It's outrageous. It's bloody outrageous!" And, and this is where the some of the anger came. This is why we're at, we're at this independent commission point, you know, stage. The other, the rest of the league have got really fed up. Um, so that matters, you know. That, that you know, when everyone else starts sort of going, "Oh, you know." What, are they, what, what what now? And, and the moaning and bleating about COVID, that Everton claimed COVID expenses that were way above anybody else's. Yeah. It seemed like ridiculous excuses were being made. So Everton have got to sort that. And that's on Mashiri's watch, whether it's all his fault or how he's delegated or not delegated, who he's spoken to. I, you know, I'll let someone else make that judgment. But I can tell you from the outside in, Everton are not that well. I mean, Bill Kemwright still has... A lot of friends, they like him personally. They think he's a good guy. But no one is saying that Everton have done a good job. The contrary. And, and this has been the case for a couple of years now. And, and it's, it's, it's creeping over to people, let's say, who don't have a fondness because they don't know him very well. So Everton are a shambles and they're annoying. They're, they're, they're actually, you know, pissing me off. Yeah. So, so, so that's got to change. You've got to change that. The only thing I'll add on the football side, because uh, Paul will have a lot more to say about that, I don't need to tell Everton fans that you spent your money really, really badly. Um, it's obvious. Um, I, I hear that 
people quite like Kevin Stilwell. They th- think he's doing a reasonable job, and maybe, and maybe, maybe better better decisions are going to be made. Maybe. Um, I think the thing that I find a little bit odd, or not odd or, or worrying, is in the past I always used to think that Everton, because it had a good academy, had a really good sort of story around youth development, and was you know everyone knows the famous players you've, you've developed. That there'd be one, one or two that would get you out of a hole, even if it was yeah. someone to, to to sell. But yeah. I, I, I think that I, I'm just not hearing so much about that, and that would well, we've worry played me. that card. We've played that card once. The last time we played that card was Wayne, of course. You know, and um, we, yeah, we, Anthony we Gordon, move. I guess, to a, to a lesser extent. But well, yes, yeah. in terms of value, yes. But in terms of you know keeping the business afloat and keeping the keeping the wolf literally from kicking the door down, um, that was that was Wayne Rooney. Thank you, Matt. Paul, what, what do you make of uh, what do you make of changes in the boardroom? How quickly and what sort of nature can can they take? Because if this deal is perpetually four or five weeks away, I mean, you talked about a pattern of behaviour earlier, and Matt referred to the same. The pattern of behaviour I've seen is people being the front runners to acquire Everton, and it's nearly done. It's nearly done. It's nearly done, and they've disappeared. And 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 that's been a pattern of behaviour that front runners have then disappeared into the ether overnight. And we really can't afford that to happen with this MSP deal because I don't see anybody else forming an orderly queue at Miss Sheary's Monaco window. I, th- I think the big difference between this deal and previous deals is that MSP are now committed. Well, they're forty million in. You They've mean. already handed some money over, so that relationship will continue until such a time as they get that money back. So that's a big difference, I think, and I think that. Evertonians listening to this, you may be disappointed that they're not hearing that it, uh, it's going to be a, an immediate takeover, that Mashiri is going to immediately lose control, although I think that's pretty close, um, is that the fact that MSP have committed one of their clients' monies to the club means that surely this uh, board can't continue to act with impunity like it's done in the past. And there has to be better governance, there has to be more accountability, and there has to be better people on that board. So, um, you know, if more money's coming in, if up to a hundred million is now is now going to come in and we've talked about there having to be more than that, um, that can only, well, should only lead to, to better decision-making because surely these people are looking at uh, how Mashiri spent his money and said, well, it's fine for you to spend your money as you see fit, but you're not spending our money in the same way. And um, so you are going to make better decisions and the, the better decisions are made by having better people on the board. And it's a, it really is as simple as that, isn't it? It's like a football team becomes better by having better players or by having a better manager, a better coaching squad, a better academy, etc. That's uh, the same, is, is exactly, it is exactly the same at board level. So the changes that you know campaign groups of which I've been part of and other campaigning groups have been calling for um, are going to happen because they have okay. to now because there's external money into the club. You know, uh, I talk about Mashiri losing uh, control, meaning that he will drop below 50%. There is already an element of loss of control by virtue of the fact that a third party has come in and provided money. There has to be. Yeah, nobody's, gonna, nobody's going to unconditionally give that money, particularly based on the current track record. So, I think... Yes, of course. Um, it, it sounds like a truism, but but it obviously is. And we've been you know banging on about this since the early days of Everton Business Matters back in the Victorian era. It feels like um, 
Everton now seem to me to be in this almost uh, in this sort of never reality of we used to talk about competing with the Sky Six or the Sky Eight, and and now I don't know I don't know what good looks like, what success looks like, because you've got clearly the mega clubs, the Manchester Cities, Chelsea's, even Liverpool. Arsenal, Manchester United with these huge owners, Newcastle United, you know, the sovereign states are involved here. Um, and you've got the up and coming teams of your Brentfords and your Brightons and West Ham around the edges and, you know, Crystal Palace outperforming us, Fulham coming back and, and, and you're almost getting into the top half of the table. What do you think, Matt, as a, you know, as a journalist, what on earth does success look like for Everton? Because we're talking about having to spend a huge amount of money now a huge amount of money to dig our way out of a very black hole and quite a deep hole to finish 12th and, and you'd almost have mm. to say if i were machiri what's the bloody point you know 12th where are the riches for coming 12th yeah 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 well i've i often hear that you know people tell me you know i say congratulations you know and and how's your first season and they go great you know i spent 100 million and we, we came exactly the same as last year great but the premier league's um premier league's tough you know it's it's the world's it's the world's most watched domestic football competition it's the most successful but it's tough and you know there's a there's a club in there which i think could be quite a good comparison if things go well really well you didn't mention that's aston villa yeah, very um, good. yeah. which i think which i think has a lot you, you guys have a lot in common um and they had a sort of kind of a few years back under under randy Lerner had a sort of period where they like you did a few years ago, you know, looked like they might be ruffling feathers and could we could we continue to complete for Europe? And then we we got a base and we can maybe sort of bridge that gap. But it didn't work. It, it, you know, he he ran out of energy and time and money and he and then there was a big retrenchment and they went down and but they've yeah. come back. Now they've come back and they've invested money in the stadium. They've improved they've improved their stadium. They've improved the training ground. They've got the they've got the academy going. They're owned by absolute billionaires. You know, very very rich guys. Do do not think for one minute Aston Villa are plucky minnows. You know, Wes Edens and, and Swahiri's are, are, are ludicrously wealthy guys. You know, Milwaukee Bucks NBA and these guys are serious hedge fund guys. I think I think Everson's in that in that is is looking for a bit of a miracle now. You've got the brand right. You've got you've got the trophies. You've got the silverware. You, you know, you you have advantages over Brighton and Brentford and Fulham. Right, you might not say it might not seem like it now, but you do. And this stadium, I think, will help. But you're going to need someone to come along and basically pick up the pieces from, from Mashiri. I don't think he's not he's not he's clearly not admitting it now, and maybe he's not he's he's not in the right space. And lot, lots gone on in his life, right, of late. But his 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 time is up, I think, Everton. Whether it's up right now, and as you know, Paul clearly feels that he's going to be diluted sooner than i do i don't know i don't know i know that's not his plan but he, he, he might he might lose track he might lose hold of the plan this all this all might unravel faster i have no idea but medium term his time is up right it can't i, I can't see him being around long enough to sort of incrementally get you back on track because what would happen now your sort of kind of like recovery plan would be five to ten years of making every single decision spot on yeah so your manager yep. every single player you buy almost needs to be a hit and next year you come i don't know 14th the year after you come 12th so you know three four years on maybe maybe 
you're in Europe. It needs to be that. It, it, it's going to be so hard, so competitive, the league, and you're coming from such a bad place. You know, I don't, you know, that squad at the moment is a relegation battle again next year. All day. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, I just don't, I just don't, I mean, I suppose if I was going to try and be optimistic, I'd say, I don't know, the three clubs coming up this year aren't quite as strong maybe as other years. I mean, we'll see with Burnley, we'll see how they go. But, you know, Sheffield United, I don't think are amazing and Luton, a wonderful story, but coming up through the playoffs is always tough and they might take the sort of longer term goal and thinking, right, we'll come up this year, we'll go down, we'll get our stadium and then we'll, look, there's a, there's a, it's not a disaster. I'm not saying you're down. I'm just saying you're in a relegation fight. Agreed. Agreed. So, Paul, Paul, is the blue in the room. We've talked about this and, and uh, it, it, the history is great and the history is part of the brand, as Matt said, and it's one of the things we can cling on to that can help us build. But, you know, um, to what extent do you think there needs to be, as well as a commercial reset uh, and a boardroom reset and even an ownership reset, to what extent do you think there needs to be a cultural reset in the fan base to get rid of these outdated expectations that we can compete for top six, that we should have no fear that Everton, aren't we? You know, we are Everton and, you know, we're bigger, bigger club than Man City, Newcastle, who the hell are they? You know, to what extent do the fans need to temper? And, and I'd be the very last one to do that because I still think we should be winning trophies. Um, that's, that's how daft I am. Um, to what extent do the fans need to reset those expectations and give people, whether it's Sean Dyche or whoever, three years to build this success being um, staying in the Premier League and not having final day heart attacks and just being happy with, with, with top half or the bottom half, if you will. And do you think that's possible within this notoriously um, uh, divided uh, to one extent, but also expectant fan base? I think demanding customers make better businesses. So I don't think we should ever um, step away from what we expect from our football club. And I know people will say, well, that's not particularly helpful to the people within the club. <laughs> um, and I understand that from a, you know, a management perspective that uh, maybe we need to be, maybe ideally we need to be more uh, realistic, but that's not how football works, is it? That's not how, um, that's not the thing that makes us sit up at two o'clock in the morning uh, recording a podcast or, uh, you know, traveling the length and breadth of the, of the country as Evertonians do. We do yep. it in expectations of, you know, what our history has taught us about our football club. And we do it in expectation of, of us returning to that. Um, and I don't think the fans for one second should ever, ever lose that. I think, that, I think, you know, logically they have to understand the position that we're in and we're in a desperately poor position. And as Matt says, unfortunately, it's going to take five or 10 years perhaps to get back to anything uh, that might be deemed acceptable. But that is, I, I, I would hate the fans to lose that. I would hate the fans to lose the, the, the passion that frankly saw us, you know, over, over the line a week ago. Oh, of course it did. But it, I mean more about tempering expectations. Without the fans in the last two years, we'd have been down. We'd have probably been messing around in League One. Um you know, like Sunderland before us, um, uh, and almost like Randy Lerner's Aston Villa. The, 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 the danger, Roger, sorry to cut across you, is as Neville right. Southall said, that, you know, the rot starts to uh, happen when you accept 10th. 
Yeah. So, you know, Neville Southall, totally unrealistically, but totally brilliantly, expects us to win the Premier League next season. So, so if Dyche gets us 12th next season, do we sack him then? And then we no. rebuild no. again? No, again. I, don't, I, I, don't, I don't think we can. And we're not going to have the funds to do that because, you know, even if we did bring in a new manager, that manager has exactly the same problems as Sean Dyche has. Um, and Dyche, I think, deserves, a, you know, a, a, a chance at it, having had a full uh, summer to prepare a team. So, yeah. Okay, um, Matt. Thank you so much for giving up your time. Really insightful. Um, that you know what you're hearing on the street, and also to get the sort of neutrality of a of a, of a journalist, whilst it's clear that you've still been Everton has touched you a little bit. Oh yeah, no, for sure. Well, I like <laughs> and it. nothing ever stays the same once that's happened. Beware. Yeah. 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 Um, really interesting to hear what you're uh, what you've had to say uh, from from obviously some some quite in depth conversations with. Um, both MSP and, and some of you know Mashiri's sources or influences. Um, Paul, thank you. Also, is there anything you'd like to to, to add just to just to draw this episode to, to a close? Because it, it seems rather frustratingly that change is coming, but you know, rather like Christmas, it, it's 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 coming, but won't be here for a while, and it's never kind of here at the time we want it, really. Um, but, well, as I said at the beginning, with the greatest respect to Matt's um, journalism. You would expect Fars Mashiri's people to say what they have said, both to him and, and, and to other people, I guess. Um, I believe they're talking from their own perspective as against talking from a, uh, from a reality point of view. And I think, I don't think they've got a card left to play, to be honest. And I'd expect much greater change in the next sort of few weeks, months at the latest. Um, because otherwise we're not going to, achieve our objectives, the objectives that Mashiri himself sets out. Okay. All right. Well, we'll get the gang back together once the deal comes through and they've acquired the full club for 200 million. And, um, <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Matt. Thank you very much, Paul. Thank you. And until the next time on the Results Business Podcast, um, it's nothing other than up the toffees. Mm.